0: Friends, as we journey these six Sundays toward Easter, there's going to be a word of the day. And today's word is hope. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In just those few words, is about the best summary of hope that I can think of. Hope is a strong word. The end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Three of the greatest words in the spiritual life, and hope is one of them. However, in our regular life, in our ordinary business, in our day-to-day conversations, we do not speak about hope in such lofty terms. Most frequently, we speak about hope, not with a big, giant capital H, like the Bible refers to, but with just a little small h. Right? We say stuff like, I hope we go to Chipotle tonight. That is not big biblical hope, right? Or we say stuff like, "I hope some warm weather comes our way this February," or we say, "I hope Taylor Swift does better the next year." Some people might say that. (laughs) I hope I graduate. I hope I get the promotion. I hope I land this job. I hope I have enough money to retire when the day comes. I hope the Cubs win the World Series. When it comes to these smaller H hopes, we don't necessarily live and die by them or hold out even a great deal of confidence that our hopes will be fulfilled. These little hopes can be deferred or even dashed, and it's normal. However, with some of the medium-sized hopes we attach more meaning about our jobs, about our financial security, about our aspirations for ourselves, our hope for our grandkids or children or friends, little bigger H's there. And it's normal when it comes to these little bigger H's to carry quite a bit of nervous energy and anxiety and even fear that what we long for may not come to be. What if you don't get the job? What if you don't have enough cash to retire? It has been said that the greatest mistake that you can make in life is to be continually afraid that you're going to make one. You catch that? Fear is fundamentally anti-hope, and if you live scared, you live poorly. Hope is fundamentally anti-fear and the bigger the h of the hope the more confidence springs up from the bottom of your soul the bigger the h of the hope now this is not just rolling out of bed and you know being sunny side up that's not what i'm talking about the deeper and the bigger the h in the hope the more you roll out of bed with genuine confidence and surety about the life in front of you genuine christian hope crushes fear because it is not linked to any particular outcome or result, but it is linked to a person. Catch the difference there? We small-age hope in outcomes and results all the time. We big-age hope in a person. Biblical hope is something sturdy and long-seeing and far-reaching. Biblical hope has more to do much more uh, depth than just what we're going to eat or good weather in February. Because if you have a couple warm days, you know, you might get some high winds and next thing you know, your roof might be gone. (laughs) Biblical hope even has more depth than professional sports. Amen? Anybody? (laughs) Seriously, it has a lot more depth. Biblical hope has to do with our living and our dying and our living on the other side. Yeah, amen. This is one of the reasons we come to church. I mean, there's not many places that people will look you straight in the eye and be like, you're going to die. That'd be very poor, like hospitality at, you know, Aeropostale. You walk in the door, hey, you're going to (laughs) die. Buy some stuff. (laughs) Come to church almost every week, we tell you. Right? Because it puts things in perspective. Yesterday, there was uh, a memorial service here from a man named Jim Bursey, a really sturdy, beautiful, sunny-side-up man. Pastor Day was leading the service, and he quoted this verse from Job 14, chapter 14, which states the main question of hope very succinctly. If someone dies, will they live again? I mean, this is the ultimate capital H hope question. If something ends, if my life ends, when my life ends, will I keep on living? Another way of framing this question for our purposes today is to look, look around, just look at yourself, look at the room, look at your life, and to ask this question, is there hope for more than this, For more than this, for more than this, is there hope for more? To answer this question, we're going to hear what God has to say in two different scenes from the scriptures. Uh, The first from the book of Genesis, the book of origins at the beginning of the Bible, chapter 15. So we're going to read together, you as the people of God. Uh, are going to be the voice of God today, okay? Words and yellow, that's for all of us to read together. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, if you don't know the story, Abram and his wife, Sarah, got some great promises from God. You are going to have children, God promises, so many that they are going to fill the earth and I will bless the nations through your descendants. And God promises, I am going to give you a promised land to live in for all time. In this passage, Abram is pushing 90 years old, okay? No kids, and he's living in a tent, so he is pushing on God, right? Abram is looking at, around at his life and saying, is there hope for more than this? When I die, am I not even going to have a family line? What about this land you promised God? Is there, I'm in a tent. Is there more than this? And then the word of the Lord came to him. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram is fighting for some assurance. God, are you going to do this? And God takes him outside, and remember, the Lord is my light and salvation. God puts him under the starlight and says, look up here, my man. Now, have you, we live in an electric age, right? Have you ever been up on a mountain or in a place away from a city, hundreds of miles, where you could see tens of thousands of stars and feel the liquid Milky Way? Like, have you had that experience? Because this is Abram's experience thousands and thousands of years ago. He looks up at the night and God says, what you see with your any human eyes, I am going to do more than this through you and through your children. This is a pretty great promise. Now, you would think that especially because Abram believed and God credited to him as righteousness, that this would be the end of the deal, right? Oh, God's going to do it. All right, I'll go to bed. Not Abram. He's the father of the faith, And he's the father of the doubters. So he's just going to keep kicking the tires on this to see what God says. So the next thing Abram says is this. Sovereign Lord, how can I know? And so the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And the proper response at this point is, What? (laughs) Abraham is looking for reassurance, and God wants him to assemble a little petting zoo here, okay? These little animals. It gets even more curious. Abraham brought all these animals to himself and then cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, presumably because they were small, He did not cut in half. And then birds of prey, vultures, crows, they came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is getting more curious all the time, right? So there's animals, hey, it looks like a nice scene. Abraham kills the animals and cuts them in two and makes a little hallway or corridor with the bodies of the dead animals. What is going on here? Thousands of years ago, when people wanted to make very serious, vital promises to each other, they would sometimes do something like this in a ceremony. And here was the idea. You'd make the corridor of animals dead animals, and then the people exchanging promises would walk through the center and speak their solemn vows, and the implication was, if I don't keep my word, may it be for me as it is for these animals. You get the feeling here? This is not a light promise. This is not a checks in the mail. This is like, if I don't follow through on my promise, dust and ashes for me. And God himself tells Abraham to make this deadly corridor. Who's going to walk down it? Remember, Abram is dreaming now. He's having a vision. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and then passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. The Lord is my light. God appears in the form of light, a burning, fiery pot and a flaming torch. They represent God's spirit. They represent God himself and those lights pass between the pieces and God is saying to Abram you're going to have descendants you all are going to have this land and if I don't come through for you on this may it be for me God himself is saying the way it is for these animals Abram the father of the faith kicked the tires of our faith as hard as he could Is there more than this? Abram asked again and again and again. Now, as children of Abraham, how do we react when our hopes, no matter how small or medium, or big, when our hopes seem deferred, when it seems like we have to wait, when it seems like God is not coming through for us? Now we share some of the promises of God together that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, that God has a home waiting for us in heaven, that we're saved with the precious blood of Jesus and are going to be with him in paradise, great and good promises for all of us together. Sometimes we need to kick the tires of those promises, but for us personally, for many of us, God has also led us or guided us into a particular or peculiar promise about our own life. Something very specific to you, your future, your purpose, your destiny. And, oh, are you okay with challenging God on those, too? I remember a time in my own little life, about 10 years ago, um, my family had just moved across the country a couple years before from California. I was in the middle of planting a church. It was going really, really well, beautifully. Uh, but there was a part of my life, a relationship, where I was really stuck. I was working hard at this. I was trying to do everything I could. I was trying to do right by the other person with the willpower and brains that I have. And it just... I was stuck. I was so frustrated that I was driving down an interstate highway. I've only done this a couple times in my life. I'm not real proud of this. But I was literally like pray yelling in my car. Like, God, isn't there more than this? I'm doing everything I can, and this stinks. Have You ever been there yelling in your car? That's when you know your hopes are being crushed. <laughs> now... A wonderful answer to that prayer from God would have been, Really? You think you're doing all you can? How about this? right?" And sometimes God answers our deep frustration by pointing out that, in fact, we could take more responsibility than we're currently taking, or we could do something that we had not yet thought of. The wisdom of God comes on us in a moment like that. That is not how God answered this this prayer. I kind of got it out of my system and had the rest of this drive... God answered 24 hours later. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis points out that all of us, if you live more than a couple years, are going to have a hope that is deferred and maybe even crushed, dashed. How we react to this experience makes all the difference. And C.S. Lewis outlines three ways for a human being, for a spiritual person to react. Now this is book three of Mere Christianity, chapter 10. We did not make it this far in our congregational reading in January if you were part of that. Okay? So C.S. Lewis says, all right, your hope is suffering. One of three things to do. First thing it's what he calls the fool's way. Probably not going to recommend this one. Uh, The fool's way is this. You get married, 12 years later you look at your spouse and you think, you know, this is a little more disappointing than I would have planned on. Or you look at yourself and you think, what I really need is something better, a better relationship, a better marriage. You go on a really fancy vacation. You spend thousands of dollars. You arrive there, and you think, "Ah, huh, like the hotel service could have been nicer. A couple of the meals were just And you think to yourself, what I need to do next time is spend more money on my vacation to guarantee that it's perfect. Extend this to anything your job, your friendships. It's the fool's way to be disappointed and then to conclude, all I really need to be happy is something that's just that extra 20% better, and then it will all be good. Way number two of handling uh, a disappointment with your hope is what C.S. Lewis calls the way of the disillusioned, sensible person You're disappointed in a friendship. You realize that your marriage is never going to be totally perfect. You have mediocre vacation. You know, your camper leaks, even though it's brand new. And just everything about your life leads you to conclude that I shouldn't put my expectations too high because every time I get them lifted up, I'm disappointed. So I'm just going to keep the bar pretty low and it will all be just kind of meh. Because life is just meh. That's pretty good, sometimes. The third way is the Christian way. When you come against genuine disappointment in your life or a desire in your own heart and spirit and you recognize that it's not being met and may never, in fact, be met in a healthy, good way, the Christian way is to conclude, you know what? God put this desire in front of me And there is nothing in this material world that is going to completely satisfy it. I know why that is. It's because I was made for another world. I have a whole complex of desires that are only going to be satisfied when I am in the presence of God. And I should not be surprised that a fallen and broken world cannot 100% do it for me here. You hearing me on this, people? Not many people will tell you this. Hey, I'm disappointed, but it's okay because I'm really looking forward to heaven. People will laugh at you flat out if you offer a line like that. But in this place, I'm telling you the truth as much as I've experienced. That thought... I can tolerate this situation. I can keep putting one foot in front of another. It may never be perfect. God, show me the best way, and someday you're going to make it right and whole, and it all will be good, and my deep desires will be met. That is the Christian way. Let me illustrate a little more lightly with the Chicago Cubs, okay? A fool says about the Cubs, after 100-plus years of frustration if we just get that last good player, and now we have front office management, and now a good manager, so, you know, we just needed that improvement for 100 years on all those three fronts, and now we have it, so it may or may not happen. But that's the fool's way. You just tweak it through your knobs, and it's going to happen. The way of the disillusioned, sensible person is like, you know we've never won we're never going to win but it's great to go to the ballpark and you know now it's been spruced up and we're just lovable losers god bless us one and all (laughs) and the christian way would be once we get to heaven the cubs are going to win all the time (laughs) amen and amen all right C.S. Lewis puts it this way we have longings that can never be fully satisfied in this world and these longings are an indication of fulfillment only available in the next world that is heaven so 24 hours after scream praying in my car uh, the phone rang and uh, it It was God on the phone. I mean, it was not literally the voice of God on the phone. It was a guy named Doug on the phone, uh, Doug Kamstra. And he had an invitation for me. He said, hey, a couple months from now, how would you like to come to a 48-hour spiritual retreat? And actually, it's going to be the first of eight retreats. And the whole point is, for those of us who talk too much, we get quiet, we worship together, and we have a long time of silence to listen for the voice of God and direction in your life. 100% believe this was God on the phone. Okay? I've been going to retreats for now 10 years. Okay? God answered my prayer with himself. With more of himself. With more of an experience of his presence and leading and guiding for an idiot like me. Okay? God did not make a wave a magic wand and resolve the problem that made me pray yell in my car. But through giving me more of himself, he brought clarity. He brought hope. He brought peace. He brought direction. I prayed. God came through. Now, the job, one of the jobs of the Christian life, is to do exactly this to keep within ourselves a hope that is alive for more of the presence of God and more of a taste of our true country, which we will not ultimately find except through death. Is there more than this? Is there more than this? I was asking, and God said, yes, here's more of myself. Now finally, we turn to Jesus himself in Luke chapter 9. It's getting toward the end of Jesus' life, and he is having ooh, probably challenges, his own struggle with hope about how is my life going to end? What is what is coming for me? So Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus, and they spoke about his departure, that is, his betrayal, his flogging, his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So Jesus is having this moment, what's coming for me in the next month. He's also a human being, right? Feeling weak in the knees. We know the man sweat blood in the garden of Gethsemane. And in this moment of wondering, God does something amazing for his son. Okay? Jesus is transfigured. It's like heaven touches earth for a minute and his face is changed. The Lord is my light and salvation. His clothes become as bright as lightning. And two dead men, Moses and Elijah, pay a visit to planet earth. God the Father is rekindling some hope in his Son about where this is all going. And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And the disciples were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken they found that Jesus was alone. Heaven touches earth and the light of God erupts from the person of Jesus and in this moment of needing encouragement, the voice of God says three simple phrases over his son to empower him for the darkness that's ahead. You're my beloved son. I have chosen you for this mission that only you can fulfill. And as a way of validating him for all time, This part is for us. Listen to him. People, listen to him. And Jesus leaves this mountain and walks steely eyed into his mission and destiny and purpose. Jesus' hope was not pinned on becoming an earthly ruler. Jesus' hope was not pinned on becoming a success. Jesus' hope was not pinned on an up-and-to-the-right financial trajectory. Jesus' hope was pinned on the person of his Father. Similarly, if we are to experience genuine Christian Hope, genuine biblical hope, genuine spiritual hope. Our hope needs not be pinned on any particular outcome or result, but on a person, on Jesus Christ, on God the Father Almighty, on the mysterious Holy Spirit. In particular, our hope is to be pinned on the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine your hope? Your particular hope stuck to the cross because the cross is where the love of God is most clearly seen. And our hope is pinned in another place. Our hope is pinned on a rock. It's a rock that was rolled away to reveal an empty tomb because in that empty tomb, the power of God is most clearly revealed. So our hope is in the pl- pinned on the place of God's love. And on the place of God's power, and if you have any experience with the love and the power of God, you, my friend, have hope. I was once praying with a friend who was sick with leukemia, and he was, his hope was suffering because his oldest child was wandering spiritually, was far away from God. We're praying, he's crying, he's thinking, I'm going to die before too long, and I'm not going to see my daughter come home. And something prompted me to say to him in this moment, would it be okay with you if God answered this prayer after you went to the other side? Or is your prayer that she has to come home while you see it? I felt like a horrible person saying that. But when he heard those words, something uh, melted in his heart. Something melted, and he said right away, no, that would be wonderful, beautiful. That would... God can answer my prayer that way. And he was filled up with hope again that the deepest longing of his heart could be answered even after he would see it face to face. That is real Christian hope. That is real faith and trust in God. Now, in conclusion, I want to notice with you that God has revealed himself in the passages of Scripture that we read today very consistently. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And in Genesis 15, God shows up as a flaming torch to pass between the pieces. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus appears like a flash of lightning. God takes Abraham under the light of the stars. Hope is the light at the end of a tunnel. Okay? Hope is the light at the end of the tunnel of our life. We look around is there more than this, God? Is there more than this? Hope is the light at the end. Now, I would invite you in this final moment to bring to mind maybe a capital H hope, maybe a medium H hope, maybe a small H hope, something that uh, you are wondering about. Is this going to come to be? Something that is cause for you to kick the tires of your faith and wonder out loud to God, is there more than this? And it's not just to challenge God for the sake of challenging God, but when we invite God to show up, he shows up. Um, For some of you, it might be good to close your eyes for a second to kindle your imagination, but bring something to mind where your hope is suffering right now. And now if you can imagine... Like a blanket covering that situation is this prayer The Lord is my light and my salvation. God, is there more than this for each of us? The Lord is my light and my salvation. God, are you going to follow through on your promises even for me? Say with me, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Amen. I'm going to invite the deacons forward in just a moment uh, to receive our tithes and offerings. Um, Please recognize that... uh, If hope is not real, if there is not a life to come, then giving away your first 10%, a tithe, giving away your hard-earned money to God, is really foolish. You hear me? If there's no life to come, if this is all there is, keep everything you have. But as a way of saying, no, God, I trust you that there's more, we give away as Christians the first and best of what we have. It's like a a down payment on the hope that exists within us. So we do this every Sunday. Be generous because God is so generous with us.